This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Haley Stoddart. And I'm Ken Tripp. Uh, Zach Moore is off this week. I think he's on the 27th version of his famous movie, right, Um, The Green Berets. I have no idea what they're doing now, but I think they are fighting aliens in a Colombian jungle. I believe that's where we are, so... Anyway, um, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it, you know, as, as our old friend Mr. Spock once said, logic is the beginning of wisdom. And when Haley and I were discussing what we wanted to do for a topic this week, we were bouncing back and forth. And one of the things that always fascinated me was the episode, The Immunity Syndrome. And in the very beginning of that episode, um, the Vulcans, who were facing the same dilemma as our Enterprise crew would soon face, all died. And it always bugged me that, that they died, and I couldn't figure out really the reason why, even though they explained it in the episode. So I wanted to dive into that with our resident Vulcan co-host, namely Haley. Yes. <laughs> and before we get into some of the questions I came up with, Haley, and I'm looking forward to this back and forth, just quickly, what did you think of the immunity syndrome as, a, as an episode? It's, it's really interesting. It's, it's got some... Uh, fun qualities and quite different than what we normally see and in this discussion we're going to have uh we've got a Vulcan who is struggling obviously with his logic and then we've got Kirk who is kind of trying to be the logic and it's quite interesting so and then there's a space amoeba the big space amoeba yeah 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 (laughs) So it's quite uh, quite interesting, and I enjoyed it. Um, what do you think? You know, this was one of the better episodes. There's there's so many good episodes in TOS, and there's usually you know five or ten that a lot of people focus on as being the top five or ten. And there's a lot of lists out there, and we've done it a couple of times on Standard Orbit and kind of rated it. And the immunity syndrome sometimes seems to fall off those lists, and I don't think it's um, it's because it's a bad episode at all. 
it might just be a bit understated. When you think about it, its plot line is ingenious, uh, I thought. It was, it was extremely clever to come up with this, you know, looking as, at the galaxy as if it's a body of its own and being invaded by a virus, you know, as you said, the space amoeba. So just coming up with that concept to me was pretty, in- very, very innovative, uh, very creative. And the whole plot line of trying to solve the problem, I also thought was pretty good. I mean, you know, we had movies in the in the 80s and 90s, like Inner Space and things. <laughs> this seems to be kind of a higher level version of that, you know, where, where we're looking at, okay, you know, there, there is disease, there's things coming into this galaxy that, that could harm us. And I guess, you know, you could look at any of the things that are a threat in space as being that. And um, no, I, I, thought they, I thought they pulled it off quite well. And I like the fact that they opened your mind to thinking about, well, you know, the Vulcans who are very, are considered in, in TOS, right, before they get, and I, I can't think of a better word, bastardized, um, as time went on, you know, with the resistance and all this other stuff and as being, I don't know, I, I don't like the way they took the direction of the Vulcans in Enterprise. I don't like the fact that it's still feeding in Discovery. To me, the Vulcans were a really cool, very intelligent species. They were our allies, our closest friends, which is why in First Contact, right, this is, this is who we meet. And they took it in a direction I, I wasn't very happy with. Now, having said that, um, at this time, when this episode came on, and you realized 430 Vulcans died uh, trying to figure out this mystery, it was also kind of an emotional thing. And, and to me, it's been like one of those perplexing things that have been circling in my head for a long time. I was like, well, why? Why, why couldn't logic... Fill, figure out this this problem. It's still science. It's still anyway. I'm answering the questions as I go. So I want to kind of turn this a little bit because, as you see, I'm on a tangent. How do it I happens. get this back grounded, right? So Haley, I'm going to ask you: Do you really think that logic, right? Logic was the reason that the Vulcans died in trying to solve this mystery. I can see it, and. I know that sounds incredibly strange, but if we have this crew of all Vulcans and they are they are Vulcan, they they don't have a human aspect to them like Spock does, mm-hmm. it would be kind of difficult to see something and and not know what it is and not be able to explain it and that in trying to explain it, you can kind of capture yourself in this cycle of okay well we don't know what this is and why do we not know what this is and and who knows they could have been trying to figure out what this was but they weren't able to logic themselves out of their situation and I think that is what causes them to to perish and to die at the beginning of this episode in the first just minute or two and so it seems strange, but I I think that's what happens. And Spock kind of mentions something that, you know, they weren't able to explain this, and that's probably what led to their downfall, that they didn't have any humans on board, and and it was that human aspect that is what is saving the Enterprise and why they are stopping and trying to figure it out and which is really interesting and kind of backwards when you think about it that that Vulcans who believe in science and rational thinking and figuring things out would not Mm -hmm. figure it out but i think that's i think that's that component that was missing 
for that yeah, see, on the Intrepid. I, well, obviously something happened, right? Because they yeah. failed. <laughs> so I hear you. I really do. And I'm and I want to be very respectful to your opinion. And so um, take my questioning as, as seeking better to understand. So for me, as, as the episode went on and they start to unravel the mystery, like why are they aging faster? Uh, you know, what is this truly? And, you know, they, they, they figure out, obviously, it's an invasive species coming into the galaxy. Um, everything around it is being um, impacted um, by what it emits, right, which, which speeds, up to, speeds up the aging process. So, you know, like radiation or something else, it, it, cre- it, it, it causes the body to, to decay faster or to age faster. And, you know, at the, at the end of the end, it is just, okay, the solution is how would we attack, how would your human body a- attack a virus, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that really became the, the analogy here and antibodies, antimatter, boom, boom, boom. You know, to me, as the episode went on and they were solving the mystery, it seemed to progress logically. <laughs> to me, it did. And yeah. that's where I stumble because if you're a problem solver and the Vulcans are very data-driven, right, and, and very binary, uh, to me, if if one if one course of action cannot resolve the can't figure out the problem, then you you just keep changing until you figure it out. And it's kind of like what Spock used to say too, with the whole you know going back and forth with um, Sherlock Holmes. It's terrible, to, you know that no matter how improbable must be the case, right? No, how how unlike, mm-hmm. and so that to me is very logical too. And so I, I, that's. That's why it was to me. It seemed like logic would work in solving this problem. It was almost framed as though, as because it was illogical, and tons of things are illogical. Um, it was beyond them to to pull it back in and look at the data and problem solve. Now I, I can comprehend that they might have been on the right course, but ran out of time because they didn't take the same actions as the Enterprise. Completely feasible. But they do kind of insinuate in the episode that it was their inability to leap beyond logic, unless I miss something. No, I, I think you're correct in that assumption because that's what I get as well is that that they weren't able to use their logic and their their reasoning to figure it out. And I, but and then I also take a look at it as you know Spock clearly is is struggling with logic and cannot cannot comprehend the illogical and that's kind of interesting to to see that dynamic in him because Kirk is trying to see how to logic their way out of this situation because Spock can't you know I mean we get the scene where um he says okay well tell me what it's not and and I wonder if the intrepid you know like you said they were maybe doing all of this but some of the steps were missing or they just didn't figure it out in time and and I think there's that dichotomy in both of those aspects being there because I see both of them I see that they had a problem figuring it out because maybe they couldn't sit there and say well this is what it's not without being asked by someone this is what it's not we want to figure out what it is not what it isn't to figure out what it is so it's Mm -hmm. it's circling back on itself but then also that perhaps maybe they were almost there and then just ran out of time um yeah 
It's my thought process that if you had um, an issue, like something that was scientifically an anomaly or something was happening, that the best team to go out and investigate it would be a Vulcan crew. And the reason why is the, the fear of failure, because they don't have emotions, shouldn't be there. In theory, I, I mean that's just a theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they wouldn't get caught up emotionally, you know, and frustrated, which is also a key thing that happens when you're trying to problem solve. You get you get angry, and then you waste times dealing with kind of you know keeping people together, keeping people focused. Um, it, it's it's amazing how much time you lose, precious time you lose, um, because people go off track and because emotion gets in the way. And so for me, it's almost like if you have an issue like that that's very scientific, you're not trying to outguess how a Klingon's going to maneuver. Uh, you're not thinking emotionally like you, you would in combat sometimes of, okay, you know, what, what makes the most sense? What are their character traits? All of those different things. And, you know, sometimes you're using your guts or your instinct to change things where that's not the case. So for me, it would have been a very linear problem-solving equation and i think you make a great point i mean a phenomenal point what isn't so you know you start you start pulling away the things that you know you don't that that don't fit into the formula so you can figure out the formula and to me that seems uber logical and what you just said was very logical and that's do you see why i struggle with the episode yeah, I can I can see what you're saying, and it's it is silly to think that Vulcans wouldn't be able to figure this out, especially an all Vulcan crew who are complete Vulcans. They're not half Vulcan, as Spock always says, and other people say that he is. So it is interesting, but again, I wonder if it's that fallacy that because they are so logical and because it is an all Vulcan crew, that was their downfall. Because sometimes you can be too much of something and that is detrimental to you figuring something out or reaching a goal or or something because you're so caught up in in whatever it is that you don't you fail to see stuff around you that it possibly could be or Mm -hmm. something else a different step you could take to reach a goal or figure it out because you're just way too heavy and deep into something, which is, again, why I say the the crew being mostly comprised of humans parent in, enter, in the Enterprise, that was what saved them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do see. So I'm going to flip it and go the other way. So as you were speaking and I was listening, mm-hmm. one of the things that I could see being an issue with just being logical is and without emotion could be analysis paralysis right there's so much analysis going on that the instinct as to what trail to follow sometimes um can can put you on the on the wrong course so i I could definitely see that i could also see that um and this is an interesting one for me because if if they didn't do what the enterprise did which was completely backwards right is the they moved the engines forward to go in reverse. Mm-hmm. Right? They had to think differently. Um, again, that is definitely illogical. But, you know, you do have things that occur with uh, polarity and magnetic poles. And, you know, sometimes uh, the opposite is what you need to do. It's, it's akin to when you're uh, driving in a raceway and you're coming across a, two, uh, a corner 
you know, when, when the corner says to turn left, but you're going a certain speed, the actual thing you do is you turn your wheels to the right, which is the opposite of what you would think instinctually, but that's actually how you get the car to, to make that corner at a high speed. So <laughs> I can put all those things together, but behind that is science. There's a reason you turn your wheels to the right. There's a reason why, okay, if going backwards doesn't work and it's speeding us up, logically, okay, do the opposite and see what happens. I just wonder if um, as these things occur and they're trying to figure it out and contemplate and look for more data, you run out of time because that sense of urgency goes away uh, because there's no emotion. And that could be part of it. You know, as you were talking, I, I was sitting here thinking and I'm like, yes, those are the logical things, but how often do people do them in the moment? And I would probably say, you know, it's a good split, 50-50. People are going to, you know, turn the wheels to the right to go left. Or, you know, most people will be like, no, I have to turn my wheels to go left. I can see that the crew of the Intrepid, through their logic, would say, well, that's illogical and we cannot make an illogical choice. Even if we have all this data and this logic that's backing up this choice, making that choice is too illogical that they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But I guess at the same time, if you think in a binary fashion, if one thing doesn't work, then it's logical to try the next, even if it's the opposite, right? And that's where it's interesting to me. I mean, this this whole oh, concept yeah. to me is, and, and I know we're, we're, we're reaching a paradigm, right? We're just going to be circling this thing. We'll never know. But <laughs> yeah, that's it, true. But, it, but it's interesting in that, you know, a... a um, a whole species of people were were created in this universe that focus only on logic. And in many times during Star Trek, you know, and I think of, because I have to, because I have no choice, Star Trek the motion picture, when V'ger wanted to evolve, um, you know, it was, it was perfectly logical, but it could not comprehend that humans created it because it, it just didn't make any sense because the eyes of the creator are, you know, no, it has to be a machine too. And then when it wants to join with um, the humans so it can evolve, um, it wants to evolve because of its ability to leap beyond logic, which I thought was very interesting. Because remember, every, every decision the, um, the probe was making or Vija was making was binary. You know, oh, if, 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 the, if the creator isn't on this planet, it's probably because it, it was infested by these people because they can't be the creator. So the, 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 problem, the way to solve it is to eradicate them. And then, that, then the creator can speak, right? So to me, it's, it's, it is interesting pulling all this together. I didn't mean to jump into the motion picture on you, but there was just a lot of discussions there because you were dealing with that theme of, for, for Spock of purging all emotion and just thinking logically. And yet if he didn't join the crew and help out, you know, the ship wouldn't have got to warp drive, they wouldn't have figured out the answer, they wouldn't have known that V'ger was a child, all these different things because of logic. So it's that dichotomy. And I know the listeners are going, give me some Excedrin. This conversation is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. But but it is interesting. And, and I want to pose a question to you about this episode. Mm -hmm. Could it be that we're still, you know, kind of in season two? And I know we've fleshed out the character of Spock quite well at this point. Yep. But could it be that that exact thing of, okay, do we want Spock to be emotional or do we want him to be logical? Because 
because of the heaviness of using logic in this episode and things are illogical, but we have to make the logical choice based off stuff that's illogical and doesn't make any sense, could that have been a part of it? Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, but, you know, right at the beginning of the episode, Spock's reaction when the Vulcans died, right? There was mm-hmm. no, there was no indication, uh, there was no signal, no nothing. He just knew. Remember, remember his expression. Yeah. And did he? Did he even say the term? It was like hundreds of voices cried out, or you know, or Something he just like realized. That, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they couldn't. But his, but he was sensing. They had no idea why. That is, I think that's what he said. You know, like they, they died. They couldn't figure out what was killing them. They didn't know why they were dying. They just knew they were dying, and then they were gone. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's there's a part of this probably. I mean, you're right. It's year two on a 52 year Star Trek voyage that that takes the Vulcans in in a few different directions at times, and I do believe the series was really trying to play him as emotionless as possible. Uh, but it's kind of like the whole data thing. You know, there's it's almost impossible to do it because a reaction is a remote is an emotion. So you do emote. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it could be, Haley. I mean, it would be interesting if they would have tackled it the same way in in TNG. If you, if you had put the same circumstance with a Vulcan crew going through the same thing after, you know, seven or, let's say, five or six years of Star Trek, would it still, would, would they still be locked into the Vulcans can't solve this problem because they can't leap beyond logic? I don't know. I don't know. I yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of say, well, maybe we would have them still be struggling with, with that, and it is kind of interesting to take in data in this whole thing because he, you know, was the Spock of TNG, and I don't, yeah, I don't know either. Because it didn't occur to me until we uh, kind of popped him in there, but data could leap beyond logic. He would not say things were logical or illogical. He would just make a problem statement, and then they would go off and try to solve the issue, mm-hmm. right? And you could see that he was processing information, processing data to figure out how they could go about it and offer solutions. And not everything seemed to be a um, – there didn't seem to be anything beyond his capability to tell, to help resolve. You know, I mean, they did it collaboratively, no doubt, not just like in, they did in, in TOS. So he was different, but he wanted to be—he wanted to lose that to become more human and have emotions. Um, but his lack of emotions didn't didn't prohibit him. Um, but the Vulcans focus on no emotions, even though they do have them, which is yes. something we can't forget. Uh, and also their proclivity to just focus on logic is limiting. It has to be limiting. Oh, I, I definitely think so. I, you know, I, I do this myself. I'm, I'm very logical, rational reasoning in, in situations in, well, not situations, pretty much just 100% of the time. And I know that there's things that I probably miss because I'm not seeing them from that emotional aspect and from that emotional point of view. And I have to step outside of myself to do that sometimes because... I just want to see everything through a logic way. And when I explain things to people, if I'm outside of a situation and I go, okay, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing this, and I explain it very logically and rationally, and it frustrates me when people are like, what? 
and they want to throw emotions in. And I'm like, no, it's just a clearly logical solution that I'm seeing. You should do this. Um, my line of work makes me frustrated sometimes because I'm like, oh, come on. Just this is the logical conclusion to these steps that you have taken or not taken. And and so it's really it is an interesting dichotomy that they would not see that. But then I can also see it in myself that sometimes I probably don't have outcomes that would be a good thing for me because I could not step outside the logic to solve it. Hmm. Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to probe a little bit deeper into this because okay. you you've got me interested. <laughs> so Haley, you're you're talking about how you see the world and how you're trying to to drive things and how frustrating it is because you have to sometimes step back and become more emotional to understand where other people are coming from. So is this something that you've inherently been doing most of your life or is this a course you've taken due to, you know, the the formulas that you've seen on Star Trek? I'm just curious. It it's a little bit of both. Okay. I think I've I've always been able to see the bigger picture of things. Um it it's it's who I am innately. I could not control it. But circumstances and situations that I have made choices, obviously, that have directed me to mm -hmm. have have put me into that even further and have enforced reinforced those natural instincts in me. Uh, it's it's why I have a degree in psychology. Um, I went to school and I was taking all these general classes and it just really struck a chord with me innately like deep down to my bones I said this makes sense and and so I think circumstances can lead you into that more but I think it's definitely an innate character and I love Star Trek and, and seeing all these things and it is fun to watch the the logic and that's why I very much ascribe to liking the Vulcans. They are probably my favorite race in all of Star Trek. Um, mm -hmm. Even the jerks in DS9 from the ship that wanted to play baseball. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, There's a lot of ego in that episode. There was. There was a lot of ego. For non-emotional, yes, yes. So, so it's very... I very much enjoy the episodes when we have Vulcans, and I love Spock as a character. He's my favorite from TOS. But again, it was it was innate in me all along, um, and just different things have reinforced it. So watching the show, you found a kindred spirit, not so much a pathway um, that that helped you guide your behavior. Like you said, it was both. But I guess it's something that you instantly saw, or at some point you saw, and you went, ah, because you're a TNG person. There wasn't I a am. lot of there wasn't a lot of well that's fine I am too so let's be on I mean I'm a, I'm a big fan so I, I get it but you know Spock was um, and continues to be uh, the 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 point of start when somebody talks Star Trek the first thing you think of is Mr Spock especially mm -hmm. for people outside of Star Trek. you know mm -hmm. he is he is the symbol of Star Trek he, and he has been you know to William Shatner's chagrin <laughs> since 1967. Uh, and that's just the way it is. So what's interesting to me is, you know, that, that you've kind of been drawn to it or whatnot. But there was very little. Um, Vulcans were not showcased hardly at all in TNG. Hardly at all. As a percentage of the episodes and stuff. Well, and, and that's the thing. So 
at that point, I don't think I was necessarily getting uh, a lot out of Star Trek when I was first watching it. I I wasn't super young, but I was young enough. But I kind of saw those characteristics and those aspects in Picard. Mm-hmm. He he wanted to learn and know things and understand, and so that he himself knew, but then he could impart it to others. And so I think I saw that. I mean, I liked Data, and yes, he's logical and everything, but I saw more of those characteristics in Picard. And then obviously, as listeners know, I did not get into TOS or watch it until just a couple years ago. So going back and watching it, then I'm like, yeah, Spock is is who it is. That's, that is me almost to a degree, <laughs> very much to a degree, uh, to some frustration of people who know me personally. Um that that is who I am. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting. I, I appreciate you sharing, and I know I caught you off guard yeah. with that. So no, that, no, that's kind of cool. All. Gives us some more insight into things. You know, hey, know your hosts, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's pretty cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up, but I'm gonna ask you this question: If you were in the writers' room, and you had to write a Star Trek episode, and it was, hey, we're going to do this thing called the immunity syndrome. But you didn't have to pick the Enterprise. You didn't have to pick anything. And you picked the Vulcans, the Intrepid. Do you think, through your lens, no plot twist or whatever, that they could have resolved this issue? Yes. Okay. So you've come like 180 since we started the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I think if... If it had just been, instead of us following the Enterprise crew, following Mm -hmm. the crew of the Intrepid, I think the writers would have been like, well, they've got to figure it out. A, they're Vulcans, and B, we've got to end the episode. So they've got to figure it out. Okay, okay. That's fair. From a writer's perspective, I'm I'm not artistic. I'm not a writer by any means. But they they would have to say, okay, we've got to end the episode. So if we're just sticking with the crew of the Intrepid... They've got to figure it out. Otherwise, we have to carry this over to the next episode. Otherwise, listeners are just going to be like, well, wait, why is this not resolved? And it would have been a two-parter because then the Enterprise would have had to come along and the next episode would have been this episode. Right, it would have right. been the Enterprise figuring it out. So if it was just this episode, we were just following the Vulcans, they would have had to have figured it out. Yeah, I, I think it would be a fun, uh, like Star Trek continues or something to to write and actually see what happened, why they failed. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, that would, be, that would be interesting. But I do think that if there was, a, you know, of course, the Enterprise is the best crew in the world, so we get it. So, you know, the best crew in the galaxy. So you know, they, they're the heroes. Yes. Completely understand, uh, you know, what's going on. But I'm just saying, if I take a step back, I do believe that if you were dealing with something that was scientific, like I said before, that that would be the crew to, ta- to tackle it better than anybody else. Just in theory. Okay. No, I, I can definitely agree with you on that. I wanted to ask you about, um, like, Kirk's reaction in this episode, that he was wanting Spock, like, he was frustrated with Spock for not being able to figure this out, right? And and you can see Spock, he's frustrated because he's like, well, I don't know. I can't figure this out. Like, even he was struggling with his logic to figure this thing out. And so... That's how I imagine that the Intrepid crew was like. They were kind of struggling with their logic to figure this out because they couldn't see it. So so what do you think about Kirk? Like, come on, Spock, get with it. 
yeah. figure this out. Why can't you tell me what it is? And it was Kirk's suggestion to do reverse logic is what he says. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think everything in this episode was about doing the opposite. It was like a big Seinfeld opposite day, right? Yes. We're going <laughs> to, whatever yeah. you think you should do, you should change. So the fact that, that Spock isn't the problem solver with a scientific issue is the opposite of what we've come to know. Uh, the fact that, you know, uh, in order to go backwards, you need to go forward. In order to, um, to positively destroy something, you have to become the antibody to that whole dichotomy within the episode became thematic and also spock i mean kirk never gets frustrated with spock and that too was something that was new what i liked about it is you almost got the impression that spock and his intelligence or whatever was infallible right and you mm -hmm. kind of felt that way about vulcans in general and they kind of come off that way a little bit oh um, yeah yeah, ab absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and and people, I think that you know they they say they're arrogant, but if you're if you're just being non-emotional and just giving answers to anything, you are. There's no way you cannot come across as not being arrogant. And I I always kind of found that funny that nobody just said, "Oh, they're not arrogant. They're just direct," <laughs> right? Because that's what they are. But um, what did I think of it? I thought it was great. I thought for like I said, it's it's good to see collaborative problem solving and when somebody's stuck that somebody else's talents come in and help fill the gaps and i think you answered it perfectly when you said on a vulcan ship there may not be anybody there to fill those gaps you know i mean you know there's 430 individuals if they're all thinking like a computer and they're all looking mm -hmm. at the same data stream it can be very difficult you know but you would you would hope that just because they think logically that they could they could come at it from different directions and maybe they can't. It's interesting. It is interesting to think about that. Uh, but I, I agree. That's I think that's what happened. They just got stuck in a loop. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you were writing the episode, they would have figured it out. That's what you yes. said. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Any final thoughts? <laughs> um, I think the only thing that's interesting is that by destroying this space amoeba, Mm -hmm. that that's what gives Spock his, basically he, he's confident again. And he somehow is feeling comfortable with the knowledge and almost has his logic back. It's like he lost it in the episode. Once the Vulcan, once all the Vulcans on the Intrepid died and it was gone, it's like he lost his logic and then it came, it comes back to him. Well, he does wind up being the hero of the episode. Right? Yes. <laughs> He's the only one who can withstand actually going into this thing. Um, he pokes it into side. You know what I mean? He, he, he literally figures out. I mean, I know they rescue him and all that, but he's the one who gets in there and gets the data that allows him to actually solve the problem because he was the only yeah. one who could. So he's still, he's still Spock, our hero, right? As he should be because Mr. Spock is, you know, let's face it, he's cool. This is true. <laughs> he is. He's, 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 he's awesome. So, I mean, it, it wound up working out very, very well. And, uh, and I appreciate you indulging this somewhat, I guess, um, circular discussion that we had sometimes as we try to figure things out. And what I'm really curious, too, is from, from the listeners out there, you know, kind of what, they, what do they think about the immunity syndrome? One is an episode, because we didn't dive into that, and we'll do that at another time. I think we should. It's a great topic. And then... The whole, the whole kind of dynamic with, with the Vulcans failing, you know, it's just, it's even an odd thing to even say. 
It is, and it'll be really interesting to hear what listeners have to say and, and the differences in their opinions and their thoughts because, again, this topic can circle on itself for quite some time and depending on what side that you're coming at it from, mm-hmm. I think. So, folks, you know, if you need to, hopefully, uh, as this conversation started and you, fi- you found yourself going back, forth, and up and down, that you've taken your drama mean, that you've gotten through the episode— because believe me, even us just having this discussion was, was I, I kept going back and forth and having to really focus on listening to this. So I appreciate your patience, Haley. I appreciate you taking on these tough questions and well, having what I thought was a really good discussion. I, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see by the reaction, um, but, but hopefully it'll, it'll come across well. So yes. talking about Vulcans and their logic and their ability or inability to solve problems isn't the only thing we're talking about tonight. So here's some other topics elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Literary Treks. Like you said, some of the recent novels have gone with Commander Una, uh, which is, if I'm remembering correctly, they explain a name she's kind of adopted because she got tired of people just calling her number one or something like that. But it's still referring to this backstory of her being the best of the best, being perfect from... Illyria, which is a planet that embraces uh, genetic manipulation, I think, and, and you know that sort of thing, and, and breeding for the absolute best, and she was number one in her generation or something like that. Melodic treks. So, but after I watched Star Trek Voyager, uh, and you know, I was aware of the existence of the uh, Mini Moog Voyager. Uh, I mean, it didn't take me long to just like, oh, it would be cool one day, like if I could acquire the the synth, you know, like the first thing I do with it is redo the Star Trek Voyager theme with it. Then wouldn't that be fun? You know, the Star Trek Voyager theme we've performed by the Minimook Voyager, right? (laughs) Warp 5. So I'm going to go to Sleeping Dogs for my next, next episode here. Now... At this point in Star Trek, I'm really tired of the Klingons, and I was on my original watch of Enterprise, and I still am. I'm really, really tired of the Klingons, so... Did I say the right episode? Sleeping Dogs, I said, right? Yes. You're just looking at me funny here. I'm like, did I say Shadows of Pajama? (laughs) No, 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 you said Sleeping Dogs. (laughs) Okay, good. So... The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. She is with a fake him, and but she even says, "Well, it's you, but it's really only my memory of you." Right. Like, that line is heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm not the sappiest person on the planet by any stretch of the imagination. Anyone who has heard me talk for months on this network knows that. But this is heartbreaking stuff. Yeah. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact. And look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference 
type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs... You can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>